When it comes to supporting Canadian dairy farmers and ensuring optimal health and welfare of their cattle, veterinarians are on the front lines with them. They're there to guide, support, coach, and advise when it comes to biosecurity and can be an important source of information and important part of the solution. Preventing and controlling the spread of disease within and between herds is the name of the game, and bovine veterinarians across Canada are committing themselves to this cause. So, how can your vet support you in disease prevention and control? And what sort of strategies should you be thinking about on your farm? That's our focus today. Welcome to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series, Paths to On-Farm Excellence, where we discuss priority topics for Canadian dairy farmers. My name's Stephen Roach. I'm an epidemiologist with a passion for dairy cattle health and welfare. I'm part of a team that's working with the Dairy Farmers of Canada to help showcase Canadian dairy farming stories, industry updates, and the latest science, advice, and perspectives on high-priority topics that relate to ProAction. Our next discussion takes place with Dr. Robin Elgie, a dairy veterinarian with Kirkton Veterinary Services, which is located in southwestern Ontario. She and I sat down to discuss her perspectives on the key pillars of biosecurity, as well as practical approaches for dairy producers to improve biosecurity on their farm, including record-keeping, protocol development, vaccination, cleaning and disinfection, and many other strategies. So, let's jump in! Well, Robin, it's a pleasure to get the chance to chat with you today. I'm really excited about uh, hearing your perspective on on biosecurity as a as a practitioner, as a veterinarian uh, out here in Ontario, and to try, to try and get a bit of a sense of of your perspective uh, on how you work with your clients on on biosecurity in the Canadian dairy industry, and and some of the tips or pieces of advice you might have for producers and others that are listening here on what uh, what they can be doing or or some of the things they can be thinking about when it comes to preventing and controlling diseases on their farm. So thanks very much for joining us today. Well, thank you. So for those of, uh, of, of our listeners that haven't had a chance to, to meet you, Robin, or hear you speak in the past, could you just give us a, a brief introduction to who you are and, and your role and experience in the, uh, in the dairy industry? Yeah, for sure. I, um, I've been practicing now for 10 years, um, primarily exclusively uh, dairy. Um, so mo- southwestern Ontario, I've been on to a lot of different dairy farms and been able to work with a lot of different dairy clients um, on all aspects that um, veterinary medicine pertaining to dairy um, brings. But um Specifically, when I graduated, um, the Yoni's program was just uh, rolling and the CQM program was just starting. And so um, I spent a lot of time through those first couple of years um, doing things, um, risk assessments and record keeping and that kind of thing um, and helping producers uh, jump into that because that was a bit of a, <laughs> a new territory for them and for us as well. Yeah, for sure. And it's been a, a learning curve and, and for, for many, and it's certainly evolved over time as well. So I think it's nice to be able to check in and, and get a sense for individuals who have been involved like yourself uh, on what's going on and, and what, um, you know, where, where should we be thinking about moving forward? So um, that's great. So, you know, I'd like to start high level with, with 
biosecurity conversations, especially when we're trying to to talk with producers and, and folks out on farms, um, about what does it mean when we say the word biosecurity? What are we actually talking about? What are some of the strategies and things we, we need to think about? Um, you know, when you hear the word biosecurity, many people think many different things, certainly with the, the COVID-19 situation going on right now biosecurity has taken on a very new meaning for for many folks that haven't thought about it in the past. But when we think about it in the context of Canadian dairy, can you break it down uh, for us, Robin? What should we be thinking about when you hear the word biosecurity as it applies to a Canadian dairy farm? Yeah, I think of it as um, three different areas, really, all, all under biosecurity. But I think of biosecurity to the herd, so as a whole farm um, level biosecurity, within the herd. So cat, like for example, calf to calf or calf to cows. And then also we have to remember that people and animals can also share diseases. So on the zoonotic potential, um, so keeping the in mind that there's also, but there should be biosecurity for the people involved on the farm or people who will be coming to the farm. So that's kind of generally how I think about biosecurity on a, on a dairy farm. And then there's lots of nuances in between and in all of those, but um, generally that's sort of the overview I take. Yeah, that's great. I like how that's broken down and probably allows you, like you say, to, to dig into the details on each one of those sort of pillars, uh, if you will, uh, as to what can be done to, to help manage the introduction or prevent the introduction or manage uh, diseases that are on farm. Is that fair to say? Yes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so if, before we sort of get into some of those details, I like to also try and get a sense of why. You know, we've been blessed in, uh, as a dairy industry in Canada to not have to deal with some of the, I'd say, more serious d- diseases that have had some pretty dramatic effects, um, you know, such as African swine fever or uh, influenza for, for swine and poultry, respectively. Um, so when it comes to, to the mindset that we should have in the dairy industry here, why is biosecurity so important and why should we continue to really be vigilant about making sure that this is done consistently on farms across Canada. Yeah, so when um, when ProAction first started and one of the modules that they were proposing was the biosecurity module, uh, there are some producers saying, you know, what, you know, why do we need to do that? And I always commented to them that we have been very lucky that cattle in general are very um, robust in their what they what they can. Um, be exposed to and that we don't see in general high levels of morbidity or mortality with some exceptions, of course, but as a general rule, cattle relative to swine or uh, poultry are, are blessed in that, um, that realm. So we have been able to get away with a lot of things. Now that doesn't mean that um, if we were to focus on those things and try to um, implement better biosecurity that we couldn't uh, improve things, even though the status quo seems to be okay. Um, So for example, herd level vaccinations, um, trying to operate on a closed herd, um, things like not introducing animals unless they've had uh, proper vaccination in in their history and quarantine and that kind of thing. Um, So, the we can make things better obviously on the herd level for the health and welfare so reducing morbidity and mortality by reducing or eliminating disease on the farm obviously that's going to translate into um, better economics um, reduced labor by for treating sick animals uh, antibiotic 
use that, um, for example, and also um, something that is more relevant now than it used to be, but antimicrobial resistance, um, so less antibiotics by um, either having uh, limiting our exposure or protecting our animals by way of vaccination will also help with that. Um, and then by um, the result of that will be that obviously our animals, if they are exposed to less disease or our morbidity or mortality is reduced, then um, we would expect more production out of them. Um, the other thing that I think is important, and this is sort of in the vein of proaction as well, is that um, we can use this as sort of a marketing tool for uh, not just Ontario and Canadian dairy, but just to say, this is what we're doing. We are being proactive on on these levels to reduce things within our own farm and between our farms so that we can, you know, be um, responsible with our use of antibiotics. And we do have a high quality product and our cows are uh, kept to the highest standard for health and welfare. Right. So it's, it really sort of, the benefits can, can flow right across that supply chain, I guess, from, from cows, calves and cows to, to the individual farm level. You said the economics, you know, potential for improved production or maybe consistent high quality production, uh, all the way down to the consumer and through, through processors. And and I guess it just, you can sum it up as saying it, it helps to build our dairy brand. Is that fair? Yes, that is exactly. So, one of the things that I find interesting when we talk about biosecurity is the idea of the, the potential risk for uh, disease to enter the, the farm. So it's one of those those pillars you talked about uh, earlier. And so when we think about, you know, introductions of disease from animals that might be purchased, so newly uh, purchased animals that are brought in, or maybe those animals that actually go out to a show and then uh, are brought back into the farm, you know, they've been... Uh, they've been a potential, uh, potentially exposed to to other diseases, and they may bring something back into into the farm. For you, uh, Robin, what are some strategies producers should be thinking about or having in place in order to really try to mitigate the risk uh, when when bringing animals into their facilities? Yeah. So, uh, long term goal, obviously, especially if uh, new animals are coming in as replacements for the herd. Uh, would be to uh, work towards not having to have or purchase replacements um, that are without or are um, outside of our herd, so that we can maintain a closed herd in that respect. Um, on the on the show front, um, you know, obviously, if if we want to participate in that, then we have to accept that there's going to be a risk of them um, going mixing and then coming back. So, um, on the home herd level, the one the animals that are not leaving, having a robust vaccination protocol in place that um, is ongoing is important for them. And then also for those animals that are leaving, um, having them properly vaccinated to provide protection and on time um, so that it actually has um, time to uh, booster the uh, immune system before the animal is going to be exposed. And then when before they come back or when they come back, um, ideally, sometimes it is um, logistically hard to do depending on 
um, whether the animal's lactating or, or if it's a younger animal, but um, having them segregated, and I would even say quarantined, um, would be the ideal gold standard scenario where they are uh, kept away from, you know, other animals in the herd, um, handled separately with proper uh, hand washing protocols in place. Um, and, and any equipment that is used is also properly sanitized before, um, before it goes back to the herd. I mean, that's a uh, gold standard. It is hard to do again, especially if it's a lactating animal, but, um, if we're talking about mitigating introduction of disease, because we can certainly vaccinate for some, but there aren't vaccines for all diseases. And so, um, ringworm would be an example where, um, show cat leave without it and then come back with it. Um, and so what if we can wait out the disease process before we reintroduce them into the herd, that is, that is ideal. Yeah, no, I think that's great. And I mean, the con- there's always lots of conversation about segregation and quarantining, right? And you mentioned it, but you know, it's because uh, many facilities aren't set up really to to enable that. And so I guess if, if we try and unpack that a little bit, uh, Robin, have you seen from your clients or just, you know, um, when you've been out in, in, um, in various activities, have you seen uh, an interesting or example you could share with us about how producers might be able to go about and in, in uh, establish some of that segregation um, if they don't have, you know, a perfect, um, you know, segregation or quarantine area? Yeah, certainly um, uh, keeping them, so have a portable milker, then that that uh, can um, reduce the need for the uh, animal to run through the parlor with the herd. So that is uh, something that I've seen lots of people do. Or um, obviously if they're in a a tie stall, then they can have a couple stalls in between themselves and the other animals. Again, it's not perfect. There is an airspace that's um, being shared, but um, it is, you know, better than having them right beside um, where they actually can contact each other. Um, the I've had um, uh, pr- producers vaccinate prior to going, um, and I have found that that has actually helped, especially in the fall shows and in, in the indoor shows. It has helped um, reduce the animals bringing back a, vi- a viral uh, pneumonia that has, and I have seen in some cases, um, worked its way through the herd. So that seems to have been working well since we um, have instituted that protocol. Um, I think those are the main ones right now. I, I I understand it takes a bit of ingenuity to try to think how we can segregate an animal, but still be able to um, obviously feed her and milk her and do all the things that we need to do on a day-to-day basis. But um, if we, if we're committed to going to the shows, if that's the main source of where the animals are leaving and coming back, then, uh, then perhaps, um, you know, creating a separate space for that time may be worth it. And then for those that are buying in replacements, um, trying to find a pen in, in the barn that could be dedicated to them um, temporarily, especially if that is an ongoing thing where we are continually buying replacements. And that is probably worth something to look at that that would be a well-used area of our barn. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. 
So if we think about some of the diseases, uh, endemic diseases, diseases that we see, you know, at some level, some consistent level uh, on the farm, you know, some some farms, well, it will differ by farm, but, you know, you think about maybe digital dermatitis or or some type of mastitis, uh, for example, or, or leukosis, um, some diseases that that many producers are, are trying to actively uh, manage on, on their farms. What do you see as some low-hanging fruit opportunities to try and break that cycle or reduce the impact? of these diseases on the, uh, to the herd? So obviously, um, things that are transmitted via blood, um, the, the easiest way is to um, reduce the equipment that would be potentially contaminating from one animal to the next. So new needles, um, even new rectal sleeves from one cow to the next for breeding and for um, palpation. Um, those, that would be like specific for something like leukosis that is uh, bloodborne. Um, digital term- dermatitis, those kinds of things. So um, that is sort of a herd level. We need to um, make a plan, stick to it, stick to a protocol. And and uh, if it's on the farm, then then treat cows as needed and and do all the preventative things. So that would be foot bathing um, on a regular basis and, and try not to break that cycle because that is when um, things will flare up again. For things in calves, like crypto um, would be, I, I would consider an endemic disease, a crypto rota corona viruses as well. Um, biosecurity between ages, um, vaccines on the dry cow side to help uh, provide Im- immunity, obviously the cleanliness of the environment and dedicated feeding equipment and proper cleanliness of that. Um, so it's, it, it kind of goes down to um, making sure that we're not spreading within from animal to animal. So um, it all obviously depends on the disease, but what can we do to break that cycle from from it going from an animal that has it to the, an animal that doesn't. So um, just trying to think of those and putting those protocols in place and then following them and then um, spot checking on if it's not you personally doing it, if it's a, an employee, spot checking that these things are being done and it's um, called protocol drift and it happens everywhere. And um, that's where veterinarians can come into play to help help redirect, help spot check, help make sure that things are um, being done the way they can. And things do evolve over time. Um, you know, the the flow of the farm will change. And so maybe protocols need to change for that as well. Yeah, no, that's great. And, and I like how you've broken it down by um, by some of the, the some of these different types of diseases, because of course, how they are spread and ultimately will determine what type of actions you need to take. So, um, so it, it I guess it speaks to the importance of we can't just have cookie cutter protocols and we just can't have cookie cutter strategies because we we really do need to tailor these different approaches depending on what type of unique diseases we're dealing with. Yeah, exactly. And I mean a lot of the a lot of the endemic that's the kind of the de- definition of the word, they're not new diseases, um but they may be new to your farm potentially. Um and so working with a veterinarian to to figure out how do we stop the spread from one animal to the next because like you said, yeah, like you pointed out and I said that it is different for each disease potentially, so there will be different processes. Um the other thing I want to mention too is um and this this actually is a good protocol for any disease is the uh, way in which we handle the animals. So the order, so always handling the most susceptible to the least susceptible. So young calves, fresh cows, dry cows, 
um, lactating and then always handling the sick animals last so that we ourselves aren't being the transmission uh, vector as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and along those lines, one of the things that uh, I think we're having more and more conversations around um, Canada about is how, um, well, is the role of people and the role of staff, the role of visitors and the role of other advisors, such as veterinarians, nutritionists and other folks, sales reps even, that, that are coming onto the farm and, and how they can be uh, a way in which diseases can be spread. Um as a veterinarian, uh, you've got a lot of knowledge and a lot of practical experience on how to manage these on individual farms. And of course, because you're seeing different farms, uh, there is the potential for for bringing different diseases uh, to and from other farms. And so I know for that reason, veterinarians follow very strict um, guidelines or protocols to try and make sure that that doesn't happen. So Robin, can you sort of walk us through some of the things that you're thinking about and doing uh, practically on, you know, before or after each type of farm? visit to make sure that uh, whatever you might your boots might pick up for example or the equipment that you have doesn't get transmitted or brought onto the next farm that you're going to visit yeah so um as a veterinarian and, and um, I would say, you know, breeders, anyone who's going in and handling with the cattle, um, I would, I would assume have the same protocols. So clean uh, coveralls and disinfected boots um, at every farm. Um, I would even take the step. I do this because I don't like to get my hands dirty, which is a bit of an oxymoron given that I'm a dairy vet, but I wear gloves all the time. Um, and that helps. Obviously um, we can never get our skin 100% clean. So um, wearing gloves is a good protocol because then we, um, are reducing the risk of getting, uh, certain diseases into the cracks of our skin that we don't get clean potentially. Um, and for dairy farmers, that's also true. I think a lot of them have to get into wearing milk and gloves, which, um, are effective if we clean them the day or we use new pairs through the day. Um, and depending on what we're, who and what they're handling, um, uh, after they make them dirty. Um, so when we're going into the, the pens, obviously, so our new, our clean equipment, um, the ultrasound, the breeding rod, all that stuff should have been, um, you know, properly cleaned with soap and water and dried. Um, and then when we're try to, again, follow the same protocol, working with healthy animals and then sick animals last, um, and then making sure that we properly wash everything up after we're done again, same manner. So hot water and soap and making sure it's dried and anything that has been, uh, soiled is not put near the clean coveralls that we're going to be putting on so that there isn't a transmission there. Um, obviously using, if we, if we are doing needling or anything like that, or if we're going to pump a cow, we have to properly disinfect any kind of equipment that we're going to be using as well. Um, so making sure that that is scrubbed uh, with open water as well. Uh, visitors that are just coming, so I, I'm thinking nutritionists or people just touring a farm um, where they're not necessarily getting into the pen um, all the time. Um, and they're maybe just walking in the feed alley. Certainly they should have um, disposable boots over top or if provided um, boots that are dedicated to that farm, um, clean clothes as well, and then just avoidance of contacting the animals um, if they're not going to properly wash their hands and, and their clothes and their um, uh, boots afterwards. The other thing uh, 
it's not a uh, it's a best management practice, but not um, at this point a part of proaction that is required. Um, but a visitor's log is not a bad idea because if things um, if we did have an outbreak situation, uh, going back to see who was on the farm around that time can help us. Um, you know, follow, retrace our steps and potentially um, identify where it came from and how, and how to stop it for the next time. Um, and there's a lot of people that go <laughs> in and out of a dairy in a day. And so I think it's not a bad idea for people to keep track of that because um, I know I would forget who has been on and off. Um, and, you know, there's sometimes people that come that you don't even realize because you've called them, they come do the job that they were supposed to do, and then they leave. So I think um, that is not a bad strategy either. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. I mean, and we're seeing, uh, you know, in, in various other commodities, and certainly, again, with the, the COVID-19 thing, the importance of understanding who is moving where, and, and in the context of the dairy, it's, you know, who's who's actually present that might have been present to bring something on or, or potentially take something off. And so in the case of some of these more, uh, you know, serious and infectious diseases, that, that becomes crucial, really, in trying to track down and, and prevent further spread, isn't it? Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And I, and I think there's some traditional um, service people that have come onto the farm that maybe need to rethink their biosecurity protocols because they, they are in either in with the cattle, they are in, in the parlor, they're in, they're touching things that um, are going to touch the cow or they're in where the cows are. Um, and, uh, you know, properly disinfecting between farms is, is as important for them as it is for a veterinarian or, or a breeder. Absolutely. So one of the things that we haven't touched on too much, but I think it would be interesting to get your perspective on is, uh, is record keeping and, and the value of doing, uh, some, some version of routine risk assessment. So trying to get a better understanding of what's occurring on the farm and, and what's having an impact. Um, there's lots of producers that, that, you know, um, do this to varying degrees. We've got really great technologies that are coming in place and, and able to track some of these things. But at the end of the day, it, it does require sort of consistent effort to to make sure we're keeping records for diseases, for treatments, and and ultimately having a look at those records to try and understand any sort of trends that are taking place. So, what's your standpoint, uh, Robin? You know, um, how are you working with your herds to to try and facilitate record keeping of diseases and, and making use of that data to ultimately make some informed decisions about how to prevent and control disease on the farm. Yeah, so I I um I think this is actually important um and it's one thing that CQM did get us started for certain things um um but not for others. So uh for CQM when we were treating mastitis for example, we had to record the treatment so then by definition we were somewhat recording that we had mastitis. Um, but the shortfall of that is that if she wasn't treated for something that required a withdrawal, then it wasn't recorded. And um, things like crypto, where they're maybe just getting um, electrolytes or, or a mastitis that comes and goes in 24 hours that we didn't treat her for, we miss we are missing those. So we don't know exactly how what what the level, the prevalence of that disease is on our farm and the seasonality of it, because that, that does tend to occur on farms um, with certain diseases for sure. So I think that it, it is it is um, very important and very valuable information to do. That being said, 
I would challenge all herd veterinarians that they need to look at that data with their their clients to make sure that we are using it if they're taking the time. Um, and certainly for production, they will be to um, record them. So there's a couple different options. Um, Dairy Comp is um, very easy to, re- to record these kinds of things in um, on the cow card and then to be able to pull up the numbers. Um, the DHI logbook also has a checkbox for most diseases um, that we would be normally tracking. Um, and then you can just make an Excel file or your herd veterinarian or some or one of your advisors on the farm can make an Excel file and it can just be a tally um, for the month. Um, obviously, more information is great, but if it is just a simple, like we had two cases of mastitis and three cases of diarrhea in calves, that's better than having nothing. So I would say, depending on what they're doing now, um, if they're if they're inputting everything great, if they're if they haven't been doing, you know, any tracking aside from the treatments that they've had to give with for withdrawals, then I would say let's start simple, even just a paper, write out the diseases that we're concerned about, write the month, and they can just do a simple um, tally. That that is going to be information that we can start with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Take some baby steps and then and then work towards uh, building things out from there. Yeah. So with respect to biosecurity, I mean, we talk a lot about the things that we need or want producers to do. And, and um, sometimes I think we, you know, the collective we, when we talk about, about what's happening at a population level, um, we don't spend enough time talking about what's going well, what's working well and acknowledging uh, the fairly substantial effort that, that producers are putting into to maintaining the health and welfare of their animals. So I guess with that in mind, Robin, what would you say are some of the things that, that your producers or producers in general are doing well? What are some of the things that, that you know, represent the strength of, of, um, of the biosecurity practices that are being em- employed on the farm? Um, that there's been a focus um, and, and perhaps like the Yoni uh, program that uh, started around 10 or 11 years ago uh, helped this. Um, and then all of the information that we've had with calf management that has followed that. But I think that there's been a um, a good leap forward made in just terms of um, biosecurity within the herd. So from cows to calves for sure. And even from calf to calf. Um, So, you know, getting better colic colostrum, giving more colostrum to the calves because um, all of that sets up their immune system. And then obviously getting the calves away as clean or as quickly as possible and keeping the pens as clean as we can. And, and, um, Ideally, individually housing the calves um, while, while their immune system is is starting to develop. Um, those things, I think, we have done really well. And every farm, I think, found some um, practical solution to being able to get those calves, um, you know, out of the calving pen or into a corner of the calving pen or something where we are reducing the risk um, of catching something from the cow. Um, Master, or, um, sorry, vaccines. Um, I would say generally in Ontario, we are quite compliant with that. Um, there's vaccines for a lot of different things, but I would say on a general level that most herds are doing a good job at, at vaccinating their cows for um, most of the common things that we would experience in Ontario. The visitors um, is something that I think is evolving. And I think that the COVID-19 thing will maybe um, shed more focus on that in terms of really scrutinizing 
who is coming onto our farm um, and, and, and do we really need them to come on the farm or is there some other way that we can work around that? And of course, obviously the web-based um, um, conference calls and that kind of thing that we've um, all been accustomed to now the last couple of months is probably um, going to find its way onto farms in, in some way, shape or form, I think. Um, the downfall, I would say that most farms probably, and again, it's a logistics thing, but um, segregating or quarantining new new animals. And I, and I fully understand the difficulty behind doing that. Um, but I do think that as a general rule, it's not really thought of um, much when either the, an animal comes back from a show or even when we're buying in replacements because, of course, they just go right into the milking herd. Um so I would say that if a farm, obviously, long-term work towards being a closed herd entirely, um, but if a farm is going to be um, bringing animals in, um, then they really need to think of, think around um, how they can limit the exposure that those animals will bring to the other um, herd mates. And, and that can be um, maybe they're quarantined before they come to the farm and they're vaccinated before they come to the farm. And, and if it's a one-time thing, maybe we um, boost the whole herd's immunity, but depending on what we're worried about. Um, or there's we screen for potential diseases that we might be concerned about, depending on where those animals are coming from. Those kinds of things before, the, before they enter the farm. So I would say that that is probably something that, um, that dairy farms maybe need to look into a little bit more. Um, but as a whole, I would say the, a, there are a lot of closed herds as well, which is more common now than it used to be. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I think we're seeing that with the, with some of the data that's coming out from different projects as well. The, the, the rise in closed herds and, and certainly, like you say, some of the emphasis on, on trying to make sure that we're, you know, better screening those animals, trying to source from lower, lower risk herds to, to reduce the likelihood that, any animal that's brought in has something that we might be concerned about. And then like you say, is it sounds like a work in progress is trying to find a way to still manage that separation, uh, you know, early on in their introduction to really make sure, because ultimately we know that testing, um, vaccinations and other strategies, um, you know, they, they can take us a long way, but they're also imperfect. And so finding, a the, the, combination of practices that can help us the best is probably uh, going to ultimately lead to the, the, the best success. Yes. Great. Well, Robin, I think that's a nice place to end. Uh, actually, it's it's nice to hear that, that there's a lot of... Uh, you know, good work being done by producers out there in, in Canada and certainly in your region. Uh, and and it, I think some good thoughts and some good ideas on how producers might be able to to sort of sharpen up their, their biosecurity pra- practices. And it sounds like that's ultimately going to come down to having a, a more specific conversation with their advisors and, and of course, including um, most notably their veterinarian in those conversations and then trying to make sure that they're building protocols, following those protocols and, and looking into some of the data and trends to to make the best evidence-based decisions possible. Yeah, I think, you know, overall, the the dairy industry, I think, maybe unknowingly under the umbrella of biosecurity has has taken quite a few uh, steps forward in the last 10 years. But I think now, again, with the um, biosecurity module of ProAction being in effect, um, you know, we're looking under the word biosecurity and looking at things. But I think generally every firm is open to that. And of course, the 
um, COVID-19 situation has um, maybe shed a bit more of a light on that. It is interesting to note that um, I would say as a general rule, um, farmers had a, a, a great a great deal of understanding on the whole herd immunity thing with COVID-19 yeah. and, ha- and how to, and the physical separation and the proper hand washing. And, and so that me, that to me gives me, um, you know, great hope that they do truly understand it. And, and so we're just, you know, tweaking little things now going forward, but the general principles are well ingrained in our dairy farmers right now. Wonderful. Well, thanks very much for your time and for taking the, the, uh, or giving us the opportunity to learn a little bit from you, Robin. Really appreciate it. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Dairy Farmers of Canada's ProAction podcast series. The focus of this project is to try and help Canadian dairy producers make informed decisions about animal care on their farms and support them in striving for continuous improvement. For more information, please visit the Dairy Farmer of Canada website, dairyfarmers.ca, and don't forget to like and subscribe for more content. This podcast was narrated, edited, and produced by me, Stephen Roach. Thank you to our guests and to you for listening. The project is hosted by the Dairy Farmers of Canada and partly funded by the Canadian Agricultural Partnership, a five-year federal, provincial, territorial initiative. Thank you for listening. (laughs) 